So for the last five months, we've been uh, making our way through Paul's epistle to the Colossian church verse by verse and seeking to deal with everything that we find here. And last week we encountered chapter 3, verse 18, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, because, <clears throat> in my opinion, we live a, a, among a people, not necessarily in the church, to some degree in the church, but we live among a people who have mostly rejected biblical morality. Like Christendom is dead in our culture, right? Because of that reality, um, any pastor worth the microphone that he wears should should have the sense to stop and carefully deal with a text like this one because <clears throat> the misapplication of a biblical mandate to wives to obey their husbands can result in all sorts of abuse and all sorts of evil uh, that do untold damage for generations into the future. Also, the failure to apply this text in any way does untold damage to the family for generations into the future. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's week two on one verse in Colossians 3, uh, but I think it's necessary. So, in order for me to properly deal with the text, I, I wanted to start last week by pointing out who it's directed at. Right? Because the, we've got a reputation, folks, Southern Baptists included, for, well, maybe especially, for this kind of women are lesser than men. Um, I don't even know what to call it. Error that, that we've, we've advanced in the church. This whole idea that... Um, verses like this give the males, the men, power and authority and control over, generally speaking, the women. That is not what the verse says. So we started by noticing that it, it's directed to wives, and I tried to make the point that the scope, therefore, of this submission and authority is limited. Um, not, not just in Colossians 3.18, but nowhere else in Scripture is it commanded for all women to submit to all men in general. The Bible does command wives to submit to their husbands, and even that, even that is viewed as archaic and misogynistic by so-called enlightened people in our culture, right? Yeah. Well, to prove it, <coughs> years ago now, I was asked by a relative to officiate their wedding. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, I can do that. I'm all about people getting married. They, I don't think they were believers. And so one of the things that I do if I'm going to officiate the wedding is I demand that there be some level of premarital counseling. I need to have some assurance that these two people actually care for one another and might go the distance, right? So in the course of premarital counseling, the subject came up um, 
what are the vows going to be? Because they were going to write their own. And I'm like, that's great. Absolutely. Write your own vows. Um, but if, if when you get done um, and share them with me, it sounds like guiding light, we're going to do my vows instead, because this is a time where you make a promise to one another before God and all of his people. And so that led to, well, what, what are the vows that you would have us do? And so I shared them. And when I came to the point where she has to say to uh, love, honor, and obey, she was like, I'm not saying that. And I said, well, that's fine. You don't have to say it, but you're going to want to go ahead and do it. A week later, I got a call from her fiance letting me know that they were going a different direction with the minister. That's our culture. Was I perfectly gentle? Yeah. Did I take time and explain what it means to obey? Yes, I did. I was in no way at fault. What I did was present the biblical norm and they rejected it. Why? What's wrong with it? It's misogynistic and chauvinistic. Okay, all right. Well, at least it's limited just to wives right? and husbands. And you're not called to walk six steps behind all men with your eyes down. We certainly don't believe that. So anyway, after establishing that, we spent the bulk of our time last week seeing what the Bible actually has to say about the value worthiness and dignity of all women. And here's what you see if you let the scripture speak rather than read into it. Women and men are created equal in dignity, worthiness, and value in the sight of God, but they are clearly different biblically, right? Uh, second, <clears throat> the reason for which woman was created was that man needed a helper or a compliment. And I paused and I made it crystal clear that this is a general role, not an absolute limitation. So I said, it's not as if without a man to help, y'all don't have any purpose, right? And I think that's an important clarification to make. Second to the second point, I said that being designed as a helper does not equal being designed as a decoration, Demure, servile, uh, inferior. These are not adjectives that God uses to describe women. Yet because of the obvious differences in our design, it's only reasonable to conclude that there are some things which a woman can do that a man cannot and vice versa, right? It's so insane to me that we actually live in a day and age among a people who think men can get pregnant? Are you, what? That's so crazy to me. I just, whatever. No, they can't. I don't get to do that. That is a treasure given to my wife. Not an experience I will ever have. And there are things I'm going to get to do that she never will. Our value doesn't flow from what we are adept at compared to one another, right? Our value flows from the fact that we're created in the image of God. So I won't hide the fact that the Bible clearly tells us uh, the precise reason that women were made and it wasn't to rule over men 
or to even do the same things as men. And we'll see more on this later today. Stand by, all right? Third, we bounced between 1 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 2 in order to fully appreciate what God means by submit because, let's be honest, that's the dirtiest word in the English language in the Western world, maybe not just English. Um, And here's what we discovered. The submission of wives to husbands, the submission of wives to husbands is illustrated and demonstrated by the submission of Christ to God. So Christ's yielding himself to the Father's will I don't know how to say this emphatically enough. Christ's submission was voluntary. It was free will of his own volition. It was free will of his own volition, subordination to the will of the Father, not a result of his powerlessness in relationship to God the Father. It's not, it's, not, it's not that Jesus Christ has any inherent lesser dignity than God the Father. He doesn't. They're equal. So what you see playing out, if, if, <laughs> if you look at what Jesus did by wrapping himself in human flesh and coming to earth as a man is he limited himself in all the ways that human beings are limited by our nature except without sin. That's what he did. That's the picture that the Bible paints for a woman to submit to her husband. So if it wasn't the result of any inherent lesser dignity on Christ's part and you view the Trinity as a, as a hierarchy with God the Father on top and you know and then Jesus is second and then the Holy Spirit's on the bottom doing whatever the Father and the Son want what you do is you create what theologians call a trinitarian heresy you cannot adequately depict the honor of the Son or the Spirit if you put them below God the Father in a hierarchical structure however Son and Spirit can willingly yield themselves to the authority of the Father if they so choose. The limitations of Christ or the Spirit which Christ sends are not inherent but intentional and voluntary. So when he adopts all the corresponding uh, characteristics of our nature, this is the Son choosing to yield to the Father in order that we might be redeemed from sin. So he did this with a design in mind of doing us who are sinners good. It wasn't just, let me please the father because he's a bit intimidating. Does that make a difference? Especially if you had a father who was intimidating, right? It was the Father's heart to save sinners. The Son's heart was to subordinate himself to the Father in order to come and do the actions required to redeem us. But they planned together before the foundations of the earth to redeem. That was always the design. 
So this illustrates the subordination of wife to husband. And, and, and if you agree with that and you believe that it does, then what, what's the outcome? Well, in Philippians 2, in the, in the Godhead, in the Trinity, what happens as a result of Christ's subordination is that God the Father gives him more glory. He's given the name which is above every name, that every person on the earth eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the outcome. He's given the highest place of honor. In the marriage, I believe the ultimate outcome will be very similar, if not the same. Not, not that women, by yielding to their husbands, are going to be given the same status as Christ. That would be heresy and blasphemy as well. But think about this with me, okay? What does a good husband of a good wife do alongside her, with her, and for her? A good husband. And we'll certainly address this subject when we get to the verse 19 in Colossians 3, but it needs to be said that a good husband will elevate and celebrate his wife. As will God, according to James 4.10, which says, humble yourself, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. So those were our points last week. One, text is directed at wives, not all women. <coughs> not all women to all men. Two, the biblical view of, of women is that God designed you as helpers. You are specifically conceived in detail to complement everything that a man in his design lacks. Third, the subordinate role of wives does not diminish their dignity, worthiness, or value, but augments it. And here's what I think. I think passages which specifically address the variance in gender roles need careful handling. Okay, I also think they afford us the opportunity, since I preach expositionally, to explore the rest of scripture and get a broader picture of what else it has to say about the topic. So today I have three more, and this will be it, I promise. I have three more concepts in scripture relating to the biblical view of women. Beginning with, look at in 1 Peter 3. <clears throat> Pardon me, sorry for doing that right into the mic. 1 Peter 3, just track over to verse 7, which looks like it has nothing to do with wives, right? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. As the weaker vessel. Oops. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, trust me, we're coming back to this verse <laughs> next week and the week after when we're dealing with husbands. But I just want to focus on one thing here. Your Bible, women, ladies, is telling you something about yourself. You'll make a decision. Right? You'll make it more than once, whether you agree and believe the Bible or you're going to have your own ideas about what, what's reality. Weaker vessel. I could say what my point is first so you can 
stop being irritated now, but I'm not going to because maybe if you're irritated, you'll pay more attention, right? <laughs> um, last week, I stressed that men and women are generally not equal. Remember that? Probably a few of you will never forget it. Men are generally larger, faster, and stronger. Women are generally more delicate, graceful, and gentle. Generally. The exceptions to those generalities only prove the rule. I am not saying I'm stronger than the strongest woman on earth. Okay? I am saying the strongest man on earth is most certainly stronger than the strongest woman on earth. That's our reality. Weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't just mean physical strength, right? And the Bible identifies this reality of, of being a weaker vessel in this 1 Peter 3, 7 passage, but it's actually directed at husbands, right? It says, husbands, recognize that she is weaker, care for her accordingly, honor her accordingly. So the Bible only makes the observation not to diminish you, not to put you in your place, but to let the man who is your husband know that he has an obligation and a responsibility to protect you. And to whatever degree you insist on being independent, you reject that protection. Um, uh, uh, this, I would also point this out. The passage also makes mention of the fact that you are equal as heirs of eternal life. It's not like you get your salvation through your husband who's the real connection to the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. And, and so what does that tell us? That, <coughs> that tells us that in reality, the physical advantage doesn't offer you any spiritual advantage. Being the stronger physically doesn't mean anything relative to your spiritual strength. So, and since that's true, Christians ought to be extremely careful. Can I get an amen? What application we draw from this biblical view? Yeah. I mean, in the church, this scriptural confirmation of the biological reality, and that's what it is, it's a scriptural confirmation of the biological reality. This has sometimes been used to subjugate and oppress when the intention of the Bible is precisely the opposite. What's the value of the weaker vessel? What is the worth of the weaker member? Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 18. I think <laughs> it's not uh, probably a great characteristic of a preacher, but I mean, who's getting who? It's a terrible quality to have. The more I feel like I might be upsetting you, the more preemptively defensive I get. And so then it looks like I'm mad while I'm preaching. And so to kind of steer away from that, I tend to start making jokes, but I don't want to do that with this subject because it's not a laughing matter, right? Serious stuff. You cannot imagine the Hieron lines that I'm existing between in my own skull right now, going back and forth between, don't be mad, don't make jokes. It's tough. Feel sorry for me. Uh, 18, 
this is 1 Corinthians 12, 18. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. What does that say? Yeah, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Meaning if we're all the same part, if we were all pinky fingers, that'd be weird looking and not very functional, right? He's talking about the church, all the members that make up the church. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you because you don't see, right? Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Right, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Who did that? God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. I'm not making this stuff up. You feel me? I shouldn't say, you feel me? You understand? <laughs> Forget where I am. Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. So, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. <clears throat> if it's true, macro in the church, then it's true micro in the marriage. Yep, she's a weaker vessel. My wife is a weaker vessel. And fellas, if you don't spend the rest of your life figuring out all that that means, because it's not just physical. If you don't take the time to figure out what that means, you will not be a good husband. And, and, and God help you if you've lived a life with a father that didn't love you well and you end up with a husband who also doesn't love you well because th these men tend to not understand what it means that you're a weaker vessel. And the first thing that it had better mean to any man who comes sniffing around my daughters is that he treats her with more honor, not less. What are you going to do about it, five foot seven old bald man? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Okay, so my point, why would I go to 1 Peter 3 and point out that y'all are weaker? Because weaker does not mean lesser. Okay, brothers, we are not godly if we do not imitate God in honoring weaker vessels. We're not godly if we don't imitate God in honoring weaker vessels. Now let's jump back to Genesis Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So last week, again, I made the point that woman was created specifically to be a helper for man, right? I also said 
that, and I said it already this morning, this is a general role, not a, a, an absolute limitation. So you don't need a man in order to be of value. That's not what the text is. Well, you don't have anything to do. You got no husband, you got nothing to do. It's not, it doesn't say that. That's not the point. What it means is that when it comes to supplying men's limitations, there is absolutely nothing better than a woman, than a wife. Um, this means that women must be profoundly gifted. Amen. Yeah, I mean, not that we're... We can get ourselves up out of bed... Right, guys? But if God looked and went, ooh, that's not good. Let's fix it. We probably shouldn't join men going their own way and start decrying all the merits of marriage and dismiss the whole economy because we've been red-pilled against having a woman take me for everything I'm worth. Where does that fit into the economy of mercy? And if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, ignore everything I just said. But some of you know precisely what I'm talking about, or somebody on the internet will. If women are profoundly gifted, and I believe that they are, as a husband and a father and a son to a just mind-bogglingly gifted women in my life, right? Is it fair to say those gifts may be used for things which aren't explicitly helping men? Yeah, it sounds like some of you aren't sure. You think it might be a trick question. Let me put it this way. Helper. Jenny, I'm going to need her to listen. Is she listening? All right, the bottle is incoming. Stand by, because this is important. <laughs> Listen to that. Helper does not mean helpless. I hate the words like, anytime somebody adds the prefix assistant or associate to some office, I hate it. That's probably a me thing. But come up with a different title for this office. Because assistant denotes that all that person does is wait on the real office holder and free them up to do the important things. When in reality, just on a side note, what it actually means is the assistant does everything and the office holder does nothing. So the word in Genesis 2.18 does not translate to assistant in that sense. The root word literally means to surround, to protect, to help. Uh, Let's look at some other uses and who the word is assigned to. Look, I'm just trying to anticipate that it might bother you a little bit that God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's make him an assistant. <laughs> That's not what it says. So I, I want you to appreciate your full dignity, worth, and value. So listen to this. Some other places where this Hebrew word is used to describe somebody else. Psalm 33, 20. My soul waits for the Lord. He is my help and shield. Same word. 
Psalm 70, verse 5. I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O Lord. You are my help and my deliverer. Psalm 115, verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is the Lord his God. God calls himself in his word the help. It cannot be like your, your, uh, your, how do I want to say this? Your qualities as an image bearer, ladies, I hope you're listening. Your qualities as an image bearer echo perhaps the most treasured quality of God to the mercy needing sinner. You are an expression of this character of God. He is our help. He is certainly not my assistant or my associate. Help does not mean helpless. To possess this title is nothing like, (laughs) I've got it. You've seen the movie, right? The help, okay? To possess this title, helper, is nothing like being relegated to eating in the kitchen while the honorable people use the dining room. That is not what God designed for you and not why you are called a help. It doesn't communicate any lack of capability. If God is our helper, and you were created to be a helper to your husband, you must be fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, God helps, but all right, try this, try this. God helps, and he does it from a place of power and love, not weakness and servility. I was, that was, if you tweeted that and the most popular pastor in America saw it, he'd be like, ooh, that was good. I promise you. I don't actually think that way. Just, I, again, I'm trying to be funny. All right, enough of that. So that's second. Weaker is first. Weaker does not mean lesser. Second, help does not mean helpless. Are you good? Are we all right? Well, let's soldier on. Uh, For my third point, and this is going to be it, okay? I know that makes you sad, but uh, we're going to go at last to Proverbs 31, right? It had to happen. This will be my third and final point. What's a woman's place? Her place is dynamic, all right? A wife's place. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Everybody there? An excellent wife, who can find? Nobody, the end. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Shame on me. I found one for what it's worth. An excellent wife, who can find? I mean, I built my whole interpretation of this text on my wife. I really did. I was like, oh my gosh, she ticks all the boxes. 
Isn't that annoying when preachers do that? Because the other men don't get to come up here and do the same thing. Well, I feel the same way about my wife. I know, we all do. Uh, <laughs> an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. It's just the Bible's just saying stuff, right? It's just words. <laughs> the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Well, we live undeniably in a generation that has rejected the premise that a wife is more precious than jewels. Because our culture has reduced women, not elevated them. And we have, we have destroyed femininity, not magnified it. So when your Bible tells you that an excellent wife is hard to find and notes that anyone, <laughs> anyone who does find one is enriched beyond economic measure, I think we should listen. Uh, if you're a little suspicious of what the world says about the value of women at this point, I, I mean, who, let me say it this way. If you're not a little suspicious of what the world says about the value of women at this point, I'll accuse you of willful blindness. Perhaps an excellent CEO or CFO or corporate vice president is uh, hard to find as well. But the Bible doesn't anywhere indicate that the woman's value is most clearly seen when she becomes a girl boss or a queen or whatever we're supposed to call them. That's not what the Bible says. There is a framework and a context where the wife is glorified, and it's not that. It's not, I don't know what all the new slang words are, but I've heard those two quite a bit. Queen, and yeah, go off queen, and girl boss is another one, right? Sheesh. So your Bible's telling you that your value will be illuminated by your excellence as a wife. Nobody under the age of 25 just heard what I said because I'm being ridiculous because I woke up early and I'm tired. So let me say it again. Your Bible is telling you, ladies, that your value will be illuminated by your excellence as a wife. Believe the world if you want, but I really believe God who created women knows where they're going to experience the deepest satisfaction. I'm certainly aware that some women are called to singleness, and I am not saying that until a woman has a wife, she ain't got no value. It's not what I'm saying. I don't believe that at all. I am saying that the church should be very skeptical about the world's ideas about womanhood. Being single and possessing the corresponding freedoms to pursue other interests than those of a wife is not less womanly. Being single and possessing the corresponding freedoms to pursue things that have nothing to do with being a wife is not less feminine or womanly. It's okay to do that. Be single. Enjoy it. Live it up. Within the confines of what's biblically permissible, right? But what our culture says, listen, please, I just gave you the freedom. If you're single, awesome. Do that to its maximum. Enjoy it. Travel. <clears throat> Climb the corporate ladder. Whatever. 
Like, go for it. You have the biblical freedom to do that. The culture won't give us the same right. The culture says you can't be valuable if you choose to be a wife. To prove it, Rachel Ziegler, Ziegler, whatever, the, the new Snow White actress, listen to what she said about her upcoming role as Snow White. I'll try not to do any voices. <laughs> it was really incredible to watch the cartoon and see uh, in the remake, there's no more waiting for a man, which is really nice. So a little bit more agency. We really see the journey. She goes to become a really just and wonderful leader. Uh, look, I'm not, I don't, I've, like, I've never really liked Snow White. I'm not emotionally invested in the story. I don't care how they tell it. I'm just illuminating the cultural emphasis, right? There's now more waiting for a man, which is really nice. Now she has agency. Because my wife doesn't? Do you see what the culture is telling you? You can't really, really expand your horizons and be fully valued if you're a wife. Because what? Our culture believes if you want a husband, you don't care about your own freedom, autonomy, or agency. A valuable woman is one who wants to be a leader, not a wife. And I'm pointing out that nowhere does God's word say you can't be both. It, it doesn't say you can't be both. I work with and for women that I deeply admire. I'm not making that up. Like I've watched them and I'm like, wow, she's really talented at what she's like. Leaders. Sharp. Smarter than me, which is not a great accomplishment, but it impresses me, right? If we just let God's word quickly shred the idea that God thinks wives belong only in the home, maybe we'll be helped to battle this cultural incursion regarding what makes a woman valuable. So Proverbs 3, 13 She seeks wool and flax. I'm going to go quick because we're running out of time. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like, <clears throat> she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So this is the excellent wife at home. She's industrious in the craft room. She's creative in the kitchen. And she cares for everybody in the house. 16. She considers a field and buys it. Uh-oh, who let her out? <laughs> she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So this is the excellent wife at work. She's a shrewd negotiator, and she is wise to the seasons and their purposes. 17, she dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. This is the excellent wife caring for her own health. Going bananas up there. This is the excellent wife caring for her own health. Um, listen, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to say you can't, oh, 
you can't turn that over to your doctor. You just can't. And I know it's hard work, but you're going to have to read a book and probably a couple of studies. Let me just say, by and large, most doctors get around two and a half hours of nutritional training in the whole time they're in med school. It's just food for thought. So the excellent wife, caring for her own health, is not frail and weak, but sees to her own fitness because she knows her endeavors depend, and as far as she is able, being in good health. Notwithstanding cancer, autoimmune diseases, things that are, we're all headed the same depth relative to sea level, right? Yeah. Well, I guess not. Whatever, not the point. We're all going to die. All right, 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. So that all has to do with, um, what's that called? Spinning uh, thread, the distaff and the spindle. <clears throat> so here's the excellent wife. Buckle up, everybody. Here's the excellent wife while the less worthwhile women are busy drinking, eating trash, and gossiping. And make no mistake, plenty of women. I mean, you take every wonderful thing that I've said in the last two hours, last week and this week, every wonderful thing that I've said about women, and flush it because plenty of women mar the image. Plenty of women engage in acts which are worthless. And here I would just interject that while women have come up first in Colossians, you cannot fathom how ruthless I'm going to be when we get to the husband and worthless men. So don't tune me out because I finally said something you don't like. The excellent wife is diligent. Her work is done when she says it's done. And she says it's done when it's going to turn a profit. She opens her hand to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. This is the excellent wife at charity. Profitability enables generosity. So if you really care about poor people, work hard and have extra. The excellent wife is a caring woman whose heart breaks for the impoverished. 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Get out of here. That's the problem with lights. They attract bugs. Um, where were we? 21. Uh, all her household are clothed in scarlet. So this is the excellent wife in wintertime. Her homemaking, her work, her self-care, her industriousness, and her generosity have made her a haven against the cold. She's been diligent and generous and frugal and doesn't suffer in the lean season. 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So this is the excellent wife making a home. You can make something out of nothing. The members of her house are richly blessed and she is elegantly dressed, period. 23, her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Why is that? Why is that in here right here? Because take it to the bank. Everybody knows that she is as much the reason he gets respect as he is. 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. This is the excellent wife at the consignment shop, right? Big wheels to butterflies. 
She sells her own wares rather than just mindlessly consuming and throwing things away. Dignity and strength are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. So this, I think, is the excellent wife in public. She's not demure and servile. She's not. I mean, she can be. Like, if it's your personality to be a little more subdued, you're not as gregarious and outgoing and uh, whatever the extroverted as some people are, that's okay. I'm not saying you can't be a little more mousy and quiet and meek. That's fine. But it, spirituality is not defined by how high an octave you talk in. I'm just a little servant wife. That, that is not necessarily spiritual. In fact, it can be a sign that there's tremendous abuse going on in the background. She's moral, she's bold, she's powerful and dignified. Look up the Hebrew word for strength there if you doubt me. She's not frightened of tomorrow, but has an optimistic perspective. 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. This is the excellent wife in counsel. Uh, she's not silent or mousy, but wise and truthful and considerate. And she proclaims sensible things, right? She has wit and sweetness, both which I love. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So this is the excellent wife paying attention to the needs of her household. She doesn't overly concern herself with other households. And she's not on welfare as a result. It seems like in our age, some women are more interested in like reality TV households than they are their own. Her children rise up, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now, if you come up, if I'm just like, all right, here's the mic, who's next? And you come up and you go, my wife surpasses them all. And we all go through the whole room, all the men do their job and say, well, my wife's the best. Now, have we just accomplished what, what God says will happen. Ladies, if you are an excellent wife, does that do it? As long as we mouth the words, she's the best. No. You wouldn't believe us anyway. Here are her children and her husband, right? And what do you know? Precisely what I said last week and again this week happens. As, as Christ was more glorified by his subordination to God the Father, the wife is more glorified by her in her subordination to her husband. Her children and her husband rise up and call her blessed because she was industrious, creative, interested in her home, because she was shrewd in her work and wise to the seasons, because she saw to her own health and did not leave that to chance and turn into a pillow because she was diligent, sought a prophet, and worked hard. These are the reasons that your husband and children will rise up and call you blessed, because you're generous, because you care for the downtrodden, because even in difficult times, you've set aside enough that nobody lacks, because you've made a beautiful home for your family, because you bought and sold and you were frugal, because she was moral, dignified, and strong in all that was right and good, because she was optimistic and uplifting to those around her, because she's funny, witty, wise, and a good counselor, because she cared for those in her care rather than only herself. All of these things require so much more than one place for a wife. So much more. I mean, yeah, you're going to see her in the kitchen. 
She's in there in the, in the scriptures. You'll see her in the home, but see her in the market. She's out buying land, fellas. Let's go. She's selling her wares. She's giving counsel and guidance. She's caring for the poor and needy. Why does she do these things? Because she knows. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. She does these things because she knows the one who saved her soul from the pit, redeemed her from sin, and rescued her from death. Your value, women, your value I mean, the people that aren't looking at me probably wouldn't believe me anyway, right? Women, your value is from God. Not from any man, including your own father, your earthly father. Now, earthly dads can do an awful lot of damage or an awful lot of good, depending on whether they're men who, like, love you well but you've got to look past him and see the one who sits on a throne of grace. If you want to be an excellent wife, and I know not everybody does, but if you want to be, it starts with not letting a godless culture tell you how to find your deepest satisfaction. Listen to your heavenly father. And then my charge to us is that we as a church would have the courage to believe and behave accordingly. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Let's pray.